matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. We have been thinking about the Ten Commandments over the past, this summer. Uh, We're on our last commandment today. And as we've moved through the Ten Commandments, you might have noticed that there's a little bit of an organizational system around the commandments. They start kind of big with this idea about how do we relate to God? What is our relationship to God like? And then they move down into our relationship to each other. And of course, those things are connected. But within that second set, there's another interesting thing that happens. We start out hearing uh, to honor your father and mother. And then we hear, don't kill. And we hear, don't steal. And we hear, don't bear false witness. And today we come to our last commandment, which Julie will read for us. I'm reading from Peterson's message. And it's Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. No lusting after your neighbor's house or wife or servant or maid or ox or donkey. Don't set your heart on anything that is your neighbor's. What we see in that last set then is that the commandments have been steadily narrowing down their focus in terms of how we relate to each other. We started with our actions, and we moved into thinking about uh, forms of speech, about lying. And today we get even more specific, and we're thinking about our thoughts. Don't covet, or as the message has it, don't lust over things that other people have. Not only are we not allowed to kill our neighbor, we're not allowed to steal from them, then we're not allowed to lie for them, And now we're not allowed to be jealous of them. It's like the bar keeps getting raised the farther down the list we go. When we look at that scope of the commandments, we might wonder whether that tenth one really even fits. When you compare it to things that seem a little bit more obvious, like murder or theft, jealousy seems a little bit small. Who's really going to be hurt if I'm jealous of my neighbor's house, or their car, or their jobs? Who's even really going to know if I'm jealous of these things that belong to my neighbor? But as soon as we ask the question, it almost answers itself. I will know. And so even if I never act on my jealousy by plotting a robbery, Even if I never glare at my neighbor's new car when I drive past or snub them just a little bit in the grocery store to put them in their place, even if I never do any of those things, that jealousy, that coveting, that lusting over what they have is working within me. And it's changing me or distracting me from things that really matter. And of course, the things that really matter 
aren't things at all. What this commandment asks of us, I think, is that we come to terms with the material world. In her book, Laws of the Heart, Sister Joan Chittister tells the story of a seeker who makes a pilgrimage to visit a nun. And the nun is well known for her wisdom and insight. When the seeker arrives, she finds the nun sitting alone in a one-room cabin. That part was unexpected, but what was unexpected is that there is no furniture. There's no extra clothing. There's not even books of wisdom or things to meditate on or words to give somebody in counseling situations. The nun has only this bit of weaving that she's working on. And so the seeker says to the nun, where's all your stuff? And the nun looks up and she answers with a question, as the wise people always do in stories like this. She says, where's your stuff? And the seeker says, oh, I didn't bring anything. I'm just passing through. And the nun said, so am I. That story reflects wisdom that is held in a variety of religious traditions. It's a story that encourages us to explore detachment. To be detached from the worldly things in order to focus on the things that matter. And it's related to coveting because coveting is exactly the opposite of this attitude of detachment. When we covet things, we're not just attached to the things we own. We're attached to the things we don't even have. We've been drawn in by the lure of something more. It's the promise that the next big thing is going to satisfy us. There's a way of looking at the story of Adam and Eve as a story of coveting. That the metaphorical original sin was about wanting more. It was about refusing to see the things that they already have. When you look at the story, you see that Eve's reason for eating the fruit was that it was good for food that it was a delight to the eyes, that it would make them wise, and that it would make them like God. But some people have pointed out that Adam and Eve already had fruit that was good for food. They had a garden that was a delight for the eyes. They were even already wise because they could see the serpent, and they wrestled with what to do. They question whether it's wrong or right to eat the fruit. And even the promise that they would be like God is something they have already. By that time, the Bible has told us four times that Adam and Eve were created in God's image. 
It may be that the fruit itself didn't give something that was forbidden. It's that the longing for the fruit itself was the problem. It was based on the desire to have something that belonged to someone else. In that way, it might be that the sin or what we could say the soul-level mistake was the quest for more. And then that in the process of searching for the more, for the coveting, they missed what they had already. I wonder how many times in life we overlook the things that we have already in search of the next big thing that's going to make us happy. I think that's why wise people often say that freedom lies in self-control. As long as we are busy coveting what we don't have, we're slaves to our wants and to our wishes. But when we recognize that we have enough, and we practice choosing enough instead of choosing more, it may be that we're free in a way that never would have happened even if we had everything we wanted. I think that one of the reasons that we fall into the trap of jealousy or wanting what other people have is that we confuse the spiritual with the physical. We confuse the desire to be fulfilled with the desire for physical comfort or enjoyment or pleasure. And so a framework that's been helpful for me is to distinguish between appetite and longing. Appetite is pressing. It's immediate. It's a desire for something now. Whereas longing, as the name implies, is longer. Appetite might be for luxury or for money or the perfect family or your neighbor's spouse, as the Bible puts it. But longing is for things like joy or peace or meaning. We confuse those things all the time, especially in the moment when we're making fast decisions. What is it we're longing for when we're not hungry, but we eat those potato chips anyway? What is it we're longing for when we don't really need new clothes, but we go to the mall anyway? What is it we're craving when we don't need more money, but we pursue that big raise or that next promotion? And chances are that the answers include things like belonging, community, self-worth, peace. A mistaking longing for appetite is a vicious circle. Because, of course, spiritual needs aren't satisfied by the physical band-aids that we put on. I think we covet things that others have because we've mixed up this longing. We see our neighbor's oxen or their new car, and it ignites our sense of security. And so we become jealous of the car. But the car isn't the thing we're after. 
It's a feeling of belonging and being secure in who we are. Just like Adam and Eve, the desire for more prevents us from recognizing what we already have. And I would say that we're discovering that this desire for more is insatiable. And that it's having devastating effects on our communities and our environments. When we are measuring ourselves against what others have, we fuel a sense of competition that is never-ending. And we start to see other people as enemies rather than as allies. I asked at the very beginning of the sermon whether it matters, whether I'm jealous of my neighbor, and I think the answer is that it matters a great deal. It matters specifically because we have started seeing other people as our enemies rather than our allies. And as long as we're stuck in this mindset of coveting and wanting more, the world itself cannot keep up. We can't keep up spiritually. But the hope in this is that as more and more people choose the freedom of enough, of not being slaves to our appetite, but choosing to recognize what we already have, the world can be changed. That's the promise that the seeker finds. That's the freedom that's buried within this commandment. It's a promise of healing, of healing at a spiritual level first, but a level that becomes physical as we live it out. And so as we turn to a time of musical reflection, I invite you to consider that today, what that looks like in your life and how you might bring forward that sense of enough in the places that you live and work and have community. Friends, go back to the world simply to be enough. And because that is harder than it seems, I remind you today only that the light of God surrounds you. The love of God enfolds you. The power of God protects you, and the presence of God watches over you. Go then in peace. Amen.